Hello, this is Marc Ember speaking, Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal. Today, our guest is Professor Ganesh Raghu from uh, the University of Washington, a long-standing friend of the ERS and Associate Editor of the European Respiratory Journal. Ganesh is going to comment on a recent article he has published in the journal in the December issue entitled Macitantin for the Treatment of Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis, the Music Trial. So, Ganesh, can you summarize the design and results of the MUSIC trial? Yes, indeed I will, Mark. Um, well, this is a, a well-designed uh, prospective study, essentially a proof-of-concept study, based on a biological plausibility of the role of endothelial receptors and mesotentin, specifically the dual um, receptor antagonist. So we designed a proof-of-concept prospective multicenter clinical trial to assess the safety and the efficacy of mesotentin uh, in a well-defined patient population uh, with relatively mild, milder functional impairment based on the pulmonary function testing and the extent of the disease based on the CT scan of the chest uh, prospectively uh, studied over a period of uh, 12 months. Thank you very much. So the, the results of, uh, of the study are really reminiscent of those of the Bosentan and the Ambrisentan programs in IPF in which you were very much involved too. So is that the end of the randomized control trials using endothelin receptor antagonists in IPF? Uh, not necessarily, at least in my opinion. Uh, you must remember that we used conventional endpoints that have been traditionally used in clinical trials for assessing treatment response for uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And that includes the physiological testing, such as the forced vital capacity, which indeed was the primary objective of the study uh, of the music trial. So if we could, if we just use that as a, as if that it is a gold standard way, then one can argue that it may be the end of the um, endothelial receptor antagonist for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. But All however, right. it must also be remembered, Mark, that patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis do manifest pulmonary arterial hypertension. So in this cohort of patients that have been used, both in the MUSIC trial and other endothelial receptor antagonist trials, pulmonary hypertension has not been assessed in a very careful strategic standpoint, in my opinion. So I don't think it is the end at least in the cohort of patients who have pulmonary arterial hypertension associated with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. While there is no role for ambrosentin for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, both with and without pulmonary hypertension, given the safety profile of mesotentin as demonstrated in the MUSIC trial, I think it is worthwhile to pursue a trial with mesotentin in the subgroup of IPF patients manifesting pulmonary arterial hypertension. All right, that's very clear. Thank you very much. So there, there is a very nice editorial published together with your excellent article. And in his editorial, Dr. Lederer uh, does challenge the current concept that we should only study IPF patients with mild to moderate disease uh, in the IPF trials because these patients are less likely to die or experience progression within 12 to 18 months. So do you share this view or do you want to enrich this concept? 
Now, uh, let me first of all tell, Dr. Lederer, has, his editorial is honestly an excellent editorial because he really does an outstanding job by surfacing the myths associated with studies with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis that have been done to date. So I share his view completely. So in a sense, you know, I have particularly been an advocate to enroll all consecutive patients, both the milder and moderate functional impairment, as well as the advanced stages of the disease process, to include all spectrum of patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, rather than focusing only on an apparent mild to functional, mild to moderate functional impairment. And it is regard this issue of mild to moderate disease that people talk about all the time is a wrong one because that is extrapolated from the pulmonary function test that shows mild to moderate functional impairment in the post vital capacity based on the percent predicted values and not on the extent of the disease based on the anatomical extent of the fibrosis and honeycombing as well as the associated vascular modeling that contributes to pulmonary hypertension in a subset of patients. So Dr. Lederer really has done a very good job in clarifying the myths based on the assumptions that have been made in clinical trials to date. So that really needs to be open again in a very clean slate, if you will, and address the idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis in a different spectrum. All right, Ganesh, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's very enlightening. Uh, so what about uh, forced vital capacity, FVC in IPF? Is that a good surrogate endpoint or not? To be a straightforward, short answer for that, the forced vital capacity is not a surrogate endpoint for meaningful endpoints, meaningful as far as the patient's perspective is concerned. So if one considers that as far as what the patient feels, that is, let's say, dyspnea and cough, and how, as far as how they function, as far as their day-to-day activities are concerned, and as long as they survive, the force vital capacity is not a surrogate for those meaningful endpoints. And the force vital capacity's meaningful endpoint has been argued and debated in the literature amongst peers and colleagues appropriately. So until the noise is settled, I think using force vital capacity as a primary endpoint in phase two trials is a good one because it does offer good treatment signals. But if we use that alone in the phase three clinical trials without some correlates with meaningful endpoints such as all-cause mortality or acute exacerbations of survival, to me, the force vital capacity by itself has got very little significance from a clinical standpoint from the patient's perspective. Thank you again. So now I would like uh, to know a little bit more about uh, the current drugs in development in IPF, and I'm sure our readers would like to know. So can you tell us briefly what are the current drugs in development in IPF? <laughs> the, there are many. In a, way, in a way, Mark, the IPF community at large is currently blessed and privileged because so many good drugs are in the developmental stages. So I cannot even start to complete, give you a complete list. And so clinicaltrial.gov will, of course, give the true perception of the magnitude of the several drugs that are currently being developed and are being investigated for IPF. Having said that, the major clinical trials that are that we are waiting eagerly for hopefully positive results 
include the tyrosine K inhibitors, nintidanab, um, the BIBF1120 uh, drug that has been uh, investigated in phase three clinical trials following the positive signals in the phase two clinical trials. So that is being developed and hopefully by ATS 2014 we will have some uh, beneficial results. And the ASCEND clinical trial that is reinvestigating the perfenadone hopefully will clarify the positive effects of the perfenadone that has been suggested in the capacity trials. And the IPF net clinical trials using the monotherapy with N-acetylcysteine has come to a, a closure, the results of which are also eagerly waiting um, to see if that is effective or not. And there are some two good phase two clinical trials that I know of that will need to be looked with a positive hope that includes monoclonal antibody against connective tissue growth factor. And another one is a monoclonal antibody against lysyl oxidase an enzyme that is uh, uh, provoke, that provocates uh, uh, fibrotic cascades in pulmonary fibrosis. The third one is, a, is an antibody uh, against uh, alpha B beta 6 endocrine. Uh, these and several more, including low concentration of inhaled carbon monoxide for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. All promising drugs um, that are being developed in, for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Wow, that's really interesting. So a lot of expectation indeed. So the very last question, which is really important because uh, I know you have a very strong lung transplantation program in Seattle and IPF is unfortunately often progressive. Uh, so when should one uh, consider lung transplantation in idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis? Well, that is an excellent question because there really is no good way of determining the appropriate timing uh, for lung transplantation for patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So having said that, acknowledging the general standard contraindications for consideration of lung transplantation, such as obesity greater than uh, 30 body mass index and significant comorbid conditions and age over uh, 69 to 70 years of age, uh, having all of that settled aside as general contraindications, any patient with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis who demonstrates a sustained progressive deterioration and need for increasing supplemental oxygen needs uh, who are ambulatory and survivors of uh, acute exacerbations as well as patients who manifest a significant pulmonary arterial hypertension are, in my opinion, appropriate candidates to be considered for uh, complete evaluation for lung transplantation and listing for lung transplantation. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ganesh. It was a, a really nice uh, discussion together. We learned a lot from you. And uh, many thanks again for your support to our journal and our uh, society. Thank you, Ganesh. You're welcome, Mark. It has been my pleasure and privilege. Thank you. So this was Marc Imbert, Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal, discussing today with uh, Professor Ragu uh, on the uh, randomized control trial music in idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis.